Our gracious God and our Heavenly Father, we thank you for creating us for yourself and for creating many good things in which we may enjoy your goodness and which we may manage and employ in display of your goodness which you have imaged in us and now especially in display of that character of Christ which you have formed in all those whom you have joined to him through faith. And we pray, Lord, that you would be glorified in our lives in this way. We thank you for your for devising the church and the ordinances, the ministry by which you grow us in Christ and the officers which you give to your church by whom you uh, shepherd and oversee us uh, as we grow in him. Lord, we thank you for your design for the diaconate uh, and the help that uh, biblically recognized, qualified, uh, ordained, installed deacons are, the help that they are to us uh, in putting into practice uh, much of what you have instructed us about living as those being conformed to Christ. We pray for the help of your spirit now, for none of your means, O Lord, uh, can do anything of themselves. Uh, they are blessed because they are yours. They are effective because you use them. And so we look to your spirit to use the means of your word now, uh, even as we look to your spirit to use the means of the office in our life, in our congregation's life. So help us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. So we are to considering Christ's teaching uh, regarding diaconal ministry. We've uh, considered his character. We've considered uh, his uh, example in his own uh, ministry of comforting and relieving those who are poor and how poverty of spirit relates to temporal poverty. Uh, there is no such thing as temporal poverty until the fall. Uh, it came in with the fall. It reminds us of the ongoing, or displays the ongoing effects of the fall. Uh, and the Lord Jesus, who uh, is full of compassion, uh, is therefore full of compassion um, both with respect to our uh, creatureliness, but, but especially with respect to our fallenness, uh, identifying himself uh, even by the ministry in which uh, he opposes sin and its effects. Uh, that's a very important phrase. I'll say it again, opposes sin and its effects. Uh, those who uh, simply uh, want to uh, intervene or remediate with some of the effects of sin, some of the misery uh, of what people call the human condition. Uh, we really mean the fallen condition usually when we say that. But people who want to, to address temporal earthly effects without addressing sin uh, are not addressing things like poverty and illness and um, uh, are not addressing them 
for the same purpose and in the same way that the Lord Jesus does. Uh, And so we saw those things connected uh, in his own ministry. And so it's not surprising for us uh, that we see those things connected um, in how he teaches us. Uh, Now, the teaching of Christ, of course, is from the beginning of Genesis 1 to the end of Revelation 22. Um, I do not intend here to to do the... um, to draw a distinction in uh, authority or example, um, or uh, I don't intend here to draw an authority, but uh, to point out the example in a similar way uh, in which the Apostle Paul sometimes in 1 Corinthians uh, will say, I say and and not the Lord, and he says the Lord says and not I. He's not saying that there are some things in 1 Corinthians that are less authoritative, is identifying where he's quoting something that Jesus said in his earthly ministry uh, and where he's speaking as an apostle who has the spirit, which he also says in the same letter, uh, and that those who are spiritual uh, or prophets uh, must recognize that what Paul is writing uh, is from the Holy Spirit, is the authoritative word uh, of God. Um, anyway, so just a, a side trail there, but... Um, we do examine uh, what the Lord Jesus uh, took the time to state, uh, considering that he gives us that by way of emphasis. Uh, and perhaps the most concentrated place uh, or the, the, the place that uh, we often think of when we think of the teaching of Christ, we're not going to cover all of the teaching of Christ uh, now or the, in his earthly ministry. Uh, uh, that would take uh, quite a bit of time. Uh, it is expected that we and the deacons will uh, will both continue uh, studying. Uh, one of the things that we have uh, in our church order that I don't know if it has been practiced uh, before uh, is that the uh, the pastor is an advisory member member of the diaconate uh, for the purpose of uh, continuing education, theological uh, reference and. Uh, and growth for them. So we're not going to take all the time, but we are going to consider uh, now uh, some sections of the Sermon on the Mount. We've already thought about the Sermon on the Mount uh, a little bit uh, in thinking about Jesus' ministry to uh, those who are poor, and uh, we considered it uh, in the book of Luke, uh, but first and foremost, those who are poor in spirit, uh, that the Lord Jesus has come Um, because in him are the riches of God's righteousness. In him are the riches of God's light uh, for us. Uh, And uh, that's why those who are poor in spirit, those who are, uh, those who mourn, those who uh, are humble uh, before him and receive him as all their righteousness uh, are the blessed ones. But he goes on to talk about, uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, having exposed how needy we are of his righteousness, as he starts to explain the law in chapter 5, and he opens uh, what it requires of our hearts and minds. Uh, he takes that living and active word, and, uh, and he starts uh, sticking the, the sharp instrument in, 
and, uh, and exposes all the way uh, to the bones and marrow, not so much of our bodies, uh, but of our souls. Uh, and we see that we are cancerous uh, all the way down uh, apart from him. And so he reveals the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The heart is the bones and marrow in that illustration there uh, in, uh, in Hebrews chapter 4. Uh, and then he comes uh, to uh, our obedience. Uh, if, we are, uh, if we are so I- indeed needy uh, uh, of righteousness, if we, uh, if we are so, uh, so sinful to our core uh, apart from him, um, the unregenerate heart thinks, oh, well, the solution to that is to make display of how good I actually can be uh, and to do things for uh, the eye of man. Uh, and this uh, applies to charitable deeds and prayer, uh, fasting, uh, uh, and so forth. And uh, the perpetual temptation that every one of you has, don't you, uh, to do things not for the eye of God, uh, but for the eye of man. And for the eye of man, a lower standard will work. Because man can't see the thoughts and intentions of your heart. Uh, yes, sir. I was just going to mention that our children's chapters are working today. Our written reforms. Uh, everyone that I've dealt with has called themselves religious. But our written reforms, that's the one thing that they reject. Well... You know, similarly, I've met people who uh, will not give me the time of day on any other part of Reformed soteriology. Uh, but you know, talking about themselves, they won't recognize total depravity. But you start talking about other people, uh, and they've experienced it from, from others. Um, but particularly when he treats prayer, uh, and he teaches us Uh, how to pray for the eye of God, just like uh, all of our obedience, if it's done for the eye of God, suddenly has to be done within the context of the gospel. Because God is the one before whom we will all be uh, naked and laid bare, right? To go back to Ephesians 4, (laughs) Hebrews 4, from which we were just quoting, uh, and the the scriptures dividing between... um, soul and spirit, joint and marrow, revealing the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And then it reminds us that we're already naked before God and we're going to have to appear to him, before him. Uh, and so if you're doing your good works before the face of God, uh, then you know that you need an alien righteousness because he can see the sin in the motivations and the desires uh, at the heart of our best, uh, of our best works is love for God from Christ applied to us by the Holy Spirit. But with every desire to love him, what does the apostle say? Sin is right there with me. Well, if the apostle can see that sin is right there with him, if you can see, if you're honest about your own heart, that sin is right there with you, uh, how much more can the Lord see? Uh, Well, that gets us uh, to his instruction on prayer which is the most ridiculous thing to do, primarily for the ears of others. Uh, It is good to love those around you with how you pray. 
Uh, it's not wrong to be instructive in prayer. The Lord Jesus did this, for instance, uh, at Lazarus' grave. Uh, when uh, he prayed and he said, I know that you always hear me, but I say this for, for, for their sakes. Uh, you know, a father when he prays, a husband when he prays, an elder when he prays, uh, seeks to be, um, when he prays with those under his care, uh, seeks to uh, seeks to pray in such a way as to lay hold uh, of things both for himself and as an example uh, to those who are under his care uh, and uh, and with him before God. But it is God uh, of whom he is laying hold. Uh, we won't go through the the Lord's prayer as a whole. We're just thinking about uh, verse eleven in particular. We're just thinking about verse 11 in particular, uh, where he teaches us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. Uh, the Lord Jesus in, uh, in his teaching teaches us, of course, uh, to recognize God as the provider and God as uh, the provider, not just in a deistic sort of way where he provided uh, the means and said, okay, go to it. Uh, but in a sovereign providence sort of way uh, in which all of the means that he has appointed, the work that he has commanded, uh, the same Lord who teaches us to pray for our daily bread also teaches us, uh, he who will not work, let him not eat. Uh, but he teaches us a view of him as constantly providing us, for us through the means. But as we say that, what do many of us think about in our hearts? Yes, there are those who will not work and they should go hungry. Uh, but there are others who do not have means or opportunity uh, or ability. Uh, and what about them? Well, notice that the Lord Jesus, even as he teaches us to look to God for our material provision, teaches us to look to God for our material provision. Is it individually or corporately? Does he say, give each one this day his daily bread? Does he not teach us to seek from him provision in a corporate manner? Not a communistic manner, but recognizing that uh, often the provision that the Lord makes for others in the church is through their brothers who are not in a season of want or lack of opportunity or lack of ability. And so he teaches us to pray, give us this day our daily bread, which implies even by prayer, some of the provision for my brother or my sister may be given to God or given to them by God through me. Or some of the way that the Lord is providing for me may be through my brother or my sister, uh, following, uh, following the Lord's instruction. But we are to trust the Lord. So he, uh, he comes out of the section uh, in which he's talking about trusting uh, the Lord and looking to the Lord for our reward in spiritual things, whether that be good deeds, prayer, or fasting. Uh, and looking to the Lord to take care of us then also in material things. 
that the treasure that a believer seeks is primarily the treasure that is in heaven, trusting the Lord to take care of him, to uh, provide for him uh, with respect to that which is on earth. Now, laziness and irresponsibility are not ways of laying up treasure in heaven. There are people who, who will tell themselves, and maybe even if they're bold enough to tell others, oh, I didn't, you know, I don't have time to work because uh, I'm doing spiritual things. Well, it's, an, it's not a spiritual thing uh, to, be, uh, to be lazy. And uh, you can tell by what you, what you choose to cut out um, uh, for the, the sake of these spiritual things. Uh, you're not cutting out eating uh, or you're not cutting out entertainment. Uh, we generally, when we're making excuses, uh, can recognize uh, that we're, we're cutting out the things that are our responsibility. But it is the spiritual things that are the first thing to go uh, when we feel like we are uh, pressed for time. God forgive us. So he, he tells us to focus on laying up treasure in heaven. Now, if Christ is your treasure, and if uh, the expression of Christ's life in you is the laying up of that treasure in heaven, uh, then uh, it's not like uh, the deceptiveness of riches in this world, deceitfulness of riches in this world, uh, and unreliability of riches in this world. Um, you know, when you have, whenever you think of riches in this world, uh, you, I hope you think of, at least in part, the proverb that tells you that wealth is like riches. It sprouts wings and flies away. It looks stable. It looks like it's there. Uh, I don't know, have any of you children ever tried to catch a little bird? I used, I as a child used to try to catch uh, little birds and, uh, you know, especially the ones that, that taunt you by hopping. Uh, and you, you think that you, you can hop about that fast and uh, you start running around, they hop a little friend, they hop a little, but uh, at some point, uh, that little bird decides it's done with the hopping, out come the wings, and it flies away. Uh, and you feel like, oh, I was such a fool ever to think that, uh, that I could catch that little bird. Riches are never, never going to provide for you either the joy or the security that you thought uh, you could get by them. Uh, and not only do they fly away in this life, uh, but at some point the Lord will say, you fool, today your soul will be required of you. And you will fly away from your riches, and they will not follow you into the next life. Store up treasure in heaven. Now one of the things that, um, that uh, trusting in wealth does, or treasuring our wealth does, uh, is it makes us, it leads to us being uh, closed-fisted towards God and towards others. And worry does the same thing. Uh, and so uh, the two things are connected in the second half of Matthew chapter 6. Uh, if, the Lord is, um, if the Lord is our master, then wealth is a servant for his sake. Uh, and so he goes from uh, 
not laying up treasure for ourselves uh, and viewing things the right way in which we view the Lord and that which is of him and eternal uh, as the true treasure uh, in Matthew 6, verses 22 to 23, to reminding us, teaching us, no one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one and love the other, or else you'll be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. You cannot serve God uh, and wealth. Uh, and although the, the heart of service goes before the action, the action can tell you the heart behind it. If you find that you have a difficult, if you have, find that you have difficulty being generous of spirit uh, towards the work of the gospel, uh, towards the needy brother, um, if you find yourself closed-fisted, it is an opportunity for you to recognize uh, that you might have that evil eye uh, that views wealth. Uh, as more of a help and more of a comfort to you than the Lord himself. That's the evil eye that is darkness, uh, that your whole self will be full of darkness. Uh, if, you view, uh, if you view wealth that way, and God then becomes the servant to your wealth. Uh, I grew up in a church that uh, I don't think they were doing this intentionally, uh, but many of those with whom I grew up with uh, in youth group and uh, even one in my own family came to have this kind of view of God as a servant to the good life. Now, we talked about it as if if you trust in Jesus and if you love Jesus, then uh, you will have a good marriage. Then you will uh, do well financially. Uh, you will prosper. Then... Uh, you will uh, be delivered from uh, a bunch of habits, but the sinfulness of the habit was never, uh, was never the thing that was emphasized. It was always the harm and the misery uh, of the habit. Sin was not itself a harm and a misery in how it was presented. Um, and sadly, the result was uh, that uh, a number of us a uh, number of us, you know, there was plenty of, of actual gospel as well, and the Lord spared us and came to see uh, God as our all and everything else in his service. But there's a way in that presentation of the gospel, how much better your life can be if you just let Jesus in. Don't tell me that none of you have had the gospel presented to you that way. And God will forgive you if you have presented the gospel that way. But how much better your life can be if you just let Jesus in makes the good life the master and Jesus the servant. Uh, if you want to look at what happens to those of faith, read the back half of Hebrews 11. Uh, the, the scriptures do not tell us uh, how much more pleasant our life can be uh, if you just let Jesus in. Uh, they tell us Jesus himself is all joy so that you may have pleasantness in any circumstance if you have him. Because he is the ever-blessed God who has not just given himself for sinners, but he has given himself for sinners that he might give himself to uh, sinners because righteousness 
the righteousness of God receives the blessedness of God. Now that is treasuring God. And how we view our stuff needs to communicate, I have God. And the more opportunity I have to show that he is all blessedness to me, uh, the more I am storing up uh, this treasure in heaven. Dave. Well, if you've run over, been run over by a train four times and the Lord has still your delight, um, I don't know if it's a false piety to say thank God that uh, he has given me such a heart as it can continue to, uh, to trust in him. You need to find the Lord as your treasure. Um, there, there are those who take pleasure in misery, right? Uh, and think that God somehow enjoys that we can enjoy misery, right? So this, the spiritual masochism approach to the Lord's day uh, of, the, of the, not Pharisees, but it's Pharisaical, of the Jews in the opening section of Isaiah 58, right? They, they seek worship, they seek uh, uh, fast days so that they can be miserable enough to impress and manipulate God into giving them the stuff they really wanted. But if God was the pleasure of it, how could they say, why have we fasted and you see it not? Um, there's, that, there's that delight in the Lord himself uh, that is missing there. Uh, well, um, one of the ways that not having the Lord as our treasure gets expressed uh, is in this, um, uh, in this close, closed fistedness in which, we, uh, in which we try to get wealth as much as we can. Uh, the other way that it shows up in our lives is worry. Uh, and that's where the Lord Jesus takes us next uh, in Matthew 6, uh, uh, 25. Uh, through the end, 25 through 34, uh, where he teaches us uh, to know and acknowledge God as our Father. Uh, worry is a forgetfulness that the God who rules and overrules all things has adopted you as his child for the Christian. Uh, for the unbeliever, uh, worry is still a mistrust of God who is the sovereign provider for uh, birds and flowers, which are not believers. They don't have souls, but the Lord takes care of them. And even the unbeliever ought to say, uh, there is a God who only does me good. Uh, why am I hungry and naked? Um, and then the unbeliever ought to say, because I am a sinner. I deserve hunger and nakedness and hell. Okay? So the better than I deserve answer, um, you know, that you, know, you learn to give on the radio if, um, or whatever, the better than I deserve answer is true uh, of the unbeliever. 
Uh, Jeff. He can't, but he ought to. Right? He can see God and his divine qualities in the creation. It's a sin for the unbeliever to worry, uh, just as it is a sin for the believer to worry. The believer, though, has infinitely more reason not to worry. It is a more heinous and grievous sin for the believer to worry, because now he doesn't just have a God who takes care of all his creatures, and if his mind worked, the, the unbeliever's mind doesn't work, which is what you were getting to, right? The unbeliever's mind doesn't work. But if his mind worked, he would say, you know, I'm, I'm hungry and naked because I deserve, I deserve it and I deserve worse. His mind doesn't work, though. Um, the believer not only knows uh, that he is receiving according to Christ's righteousness, or not only ought to know, right? Sometimes what we know as a theological abstraction, we are not laying hold of, which is why mentally healthy believers talk to themselves, right? The psychologist says talking to yourself well, it depends on what kind of psych. We'll leave the psychologist alone. Mentally healthy believers talk to themselves. They tell themselves truth. They say things like, why are you cast down on my soul? Don't you remember your soteriology and the application of that to how you are going to end up? Yeah, he is my God. I will praise him. Uh, this is how I'm going to end up, enjoying him and praising him uh, forever. Uh, But one of the effects of worrying is not only that we neglect that the Lord has adopted us, neglect to love him and treasure him, to live in gratitude for uh, his giving himself to us, and then response to give ourselves entirely to him uh, and for him. Uh, so there's, uh, there's that, uh, that, that soul-shrinking freezing effect uh, of worry uh, toward, uh, towards God, um, but also the one who is constantly worried uh, is not going to uh, in a, be enabled, uh, there, is going to be hindered thereby uh, from being generous to others. Uh, you know, you remember when uh, Paul is uh, telling the, uh, the Corinthians, the Achaeans, uh, what the Macedonians, uh, the Philippians, uh, how their extreme poverty uh, was expressed in generosity towards others. Um, that comes when even in your poverty, you have God and uh, are able to be open-fisted. Uh, it, it's only, uh, as only Christians who will, who will look at the poor and say, um, you know, these other poor ones over here uh, were exceedingly generous uh, in, uh, even in, uh, in the midst of poverty. Why? Well, because there were Judean Christians who were hungrier than they were. Uh, and so the, the Philippians and, uh, uh, and other believers in Macedonia didn't say, well, you know, things are really tight. Uh, we should let the Corinthians do all the giving on this one. We'll sit this one out. Um, 
Now, were the Judeans sending money to Corinth? No, they weren't. Uh, but uh, recognizing that God is our treasure uh, enables us uh, not to compare ourselves to others with a mind of, uh, you know, they should give more and I should give less. Uh, but who is there uh, to whom uh, I could possibly be generous? And in God's, in God's providence to you at any particular time, the answer might be that you're in a situation where you are the opportunity right now for others to be generous to you. Uh, and that is not, uh, it may feel humiliating, but that is, uh, that is not, um, uh, that is a valuable thing in the church uh, where the glory of Christ can be displayed uh, in the midst of want, uh, even by the opportunity that you give to others, right? One of the things you read at the end of the, the letter to the Philippians, one of the things that Paul enjoyed about his poverty as he knew how to lack was that the Philippians, who apparently kept sending, hey, Paul, you need anything? Hey, Paul, you need anything? Hey, Paul, you need anything? Uh, and he didn't need anything. And then finally, one day he did. And you know, as soon as they found out that he was in want, they sent to help him. And what we have as a result is a thank you letter that we call the letter to the Philippians, which is largely a thank you letter for the gift, where they saw, uh, they saw the, the crisis of need in Paul's life and ministry uh, as an opportunity uh, finally to give. Uh, he said, you know, you didn't lack generosity before, you just lacked opportunity. Uh, and now I've given it to you. Well, we've gotten a, we got a, a little bit uh, a little bit off, uh, but one of the places where our generosity with one another expresses itself is it displays that we have come to know God as our Heavenly Father, that we have come to know the one who clothes the flowers and feeds the birds as the one who is not only our sovereign creator, but our Father in Heaven who has adopted us. Uh, and the triunity of God, that the Father in the Son, by the work of the Spirit, has brought us into the family, and the Spirit has taught us to call Jesus Savior and Brother, and to call the Father our Father, and then to view wealth in that, uh, from that lens. It glorifies the living God. Uh, and that's what we're going after uh, when we go after uh, giving and charity. First, it comes out of trust and stewardship, trusting the Lord that he is giving us all that we have and using it uh, unto him, uh, unto his glory uh, and an expression uh, of his having redeemed us. Uh, we'll, uh, we'll come then to... Uh, giving itself and charity and how those things fit together in responses to Christ specifically uh, next time. Right. Our Father, we thank you that you have taught us even to address you that way. We do pray that you would give us um, each day our daily bread 
And we pray, O oh Lord, that you would give us hearts to treasure you, to be satisfied with you, and to view then all the good that you give us as an opportunity not only to enjoy your goodness, uh, but to display uh, your goodness. Uh, o oh Lord, when you do bring us uh, into a time of crisis or need, we pray that you would give us the humility to love the display of Christ's glory in his church. Uh, and Lord, when you bring our brothers uh, into times of needs, give us that same uh, delight for the opportunity um, that trusting you uh, and loving one another with the love with which you have loved us, you would be glorified in your church. Grant that uh, the diaconal ministry of overseeing and administering these things uh, in our congregation uh, would be unto these ends we ask. In Jesus' name, amen.